Russell's Reserve, aged 10 years, dipped in the crippling disappointment of the realization that we're not going to get any of the big name free agents we wanted this summer. We're going to wind up with Kyle fucking Korver. How are you? In this league, you either star hunting or you star developing. And if none of your stars are available, then you got to develop your stars. Like if Brett Brown was the character in The Sopranos. Uh, but well done, nonetheless. <laughs> I was going to go. He's got like Christopher Walken pacing. Uh, mm, but he does. You, you, get, you get too close if you, uh, if you try to Except do... he didn't throw someone off a boat. <laughs> Kidding. That was a Allegedly. Kyle. Kyle. Yeah. We got no stars. Now go ahead. Yeah, so um, disappointing day. We're back for our, what is it, our semi-daily, uh, our bi-daily podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were here on Monday. Monday, Bob and I were like really getting excited because the news had had uh, been breaking over the weekend that Manny Machado was going to be coming to Philly, handshake deal. <laughs> Joe Giglio decided to uh, make up a story, go on to WIP and say that he he doesn't know a guy who reports about the Orioles, but he knows a guy who knows somebody who reports about the Orioles. And there was Did a handshake really deal. Yeah. He went on WIP. WIP was uh, promoting it essentially as like, you know, Jiglio fan this out. How do you feel about it? I think he was on Marks and Reese. And um, yeah, he looks like an idiot today. And the best part about hot takes like that, I guess with somebody like Jiglio is I haven't seen that many people calling him out on it. Uh, there's one person who follows our show uh, a lot. Um, person on Twitter's name, I think is the Amish Terp. And that person's been like calling out Jiglio all day, but yeah, he uh, he went out and said that Machado to Philly was a handshake deal. It was done. Oh, and there was the quote that uh, Andy McPhail is a magician was the uh, was the word. Well, from him. Well, yeah, so I there are still know. plenty of hours in the day for someone to call out Joe Giglio. Ah, <clears throat> uh, how? I, yeah, look, I, I this is my maxim. Whenever someone from sports talk radio reports something, they're full of shit. Okay, I look as someone. Again, doing this for eight years, right? And I mean, like 60% of what we do is just chronicle rumors, right? I, I can't tell you, I can't tell you a time that I could seriously remember or more than one or two where any sort of report that emanated from a sports talk radio personality here or across the country, not just here, turned out to be true. I remember doing flyers rumors back in the day that would some, come from some guy at some radio station. I remember... Um, I mean, there were baseball rumors from Texas, the guy on the radio in Texas. The sports talk radio people are never right because, first of all, most of them aren't reporters. Second, I remember Anthony Argano had a source on something with regard to, like, no. And, and this is a guy who used to write. But mo- most of these people aren't reporters, and most of the reports are these friend of a friend, we heard, we got a source, but they're not actually, like, double-vetted sources. Like, say what you will about the John Haymans of the world, and they're being puppeteered by agents and stuff. I get that. But they do have genuine sources. They're not relying on the clubhouse attendance friend. Okay, they might be getting played. They might be, you know, a bit of a puppet, but they do have genuine sources. Sports talk radio guys are always wrong. And Joe Giglio is taking L's lately. The uh, that is bad. His take today about Sixers fans to be thankful we didn't get Kawhi. What? Like, what is wrong with you? Like he he's I don't know if he's like trying to get a higher profile lately because he seems to be having a lot of hot Twitter takes. I don't listen to a show and all of them are bad. Like universally, as someone who occasionally has a bad take, I like to mix in a good one every now and then. Every single one of his takes is bad. It's it's incredibly bad. Like you would this have sort to be on this podcast take. to have opinions. I'm just can't go ahead. Like it's yeah, J- Joe Giglio is struggling lately. His opinion about Kawhi was was somehow worse than this uh, this rumor thing. I didn't didn't the, see the other day. The Kawhi one didn't come I, here to shit on Joe Giglio. By the way, thanks for thanks for but, bringing that up. <laughs> well, I mean, look, it's so. I think the whole thing is is very frustrating if you uh, like multiple teams and and the way I saw somebody on Twitter and I wish I had retweeted it or just you know favorited it so I could have gone back to it. But there was somebody a few days ago. I think it was over the weekend. Said I can't. My heart can't handle. Kawhi and Manny Machado being floated out to Philadelphia teams. Please make it stop. And whoever that person is, I I hope they get a real bad case of diarrhea today, because not only did it get resolved, but it got resolved where Philadelphia ends up looking like a fool in in both cases. Now, to I, I guess a point that I think I had made 
maybe last week. I might have said it with Bob on on Monday. A few weeks ago, like I was totally anti-Machado trade because I thought it was going to cost you too much in, in terms of prospects. And there's something weird that happens that I don't like to allow myself to feel when Philadelphia gets mentioned with, with big stars, but it happened with LeBron. It happened, obviously, with uh, Kawhi, and it happened again with Machado. I can go from being perfectly rational and having my opinions on why I don't want a certain player or why I don't think the deal makes sense at this current juncture. And the second that I see the team getting mentioned as being aggressive in their, in their pursuit or being close on something, that's when all of my rational fanhood goes out the window. And then I start fanboying for it to happen. And then when it doesn't happen, I, I get devastated. And so within... And that's okay, but Yeah, but, but I mean, like within, was it four or five days... Uh, I think in chronological order, it went the Sixers tried to pursue Daryl Morey from Houston, the reigning executive of the year, uh, and were rebuffed by him. Houston granted permission, but Morey stayed in place. I don't blame him. Uh, Machado gets traded to the Dodgers. In a, well, at least it was handshake. It wasn't official at that moment. And now this morning we wake up and we were going to record and uh, you were like, well, let's wait until Machado goes live. And then within 15 minutes, the uh, Kawhi deal to Toronto was announced. So those are three things that I didn't expect to happen. The Maury thing I'm not upset about because I never thought that Philly would go after him. I actually think that's a little bit encouraging that they swung for the fences like that. But the the Machado thing and, and the Kawhi thing are, are both disappointing in their own ways. Oh, shit. Kevin is on the Joe Giglio train in this regard. I'm just reading one of his tweets from four hours ago. Not getting Kawhi is a blessing in the skies. Trust me. Same with Machado. No one should ever be super disappointed. No one should be super disappointed the Phils and Sixers didn't overpay for rentals. Both teams are on trajectory just fine right now. Oh, Kev. Look, I, I don't... Um, I think Kev is actually subtweeting some of the stuff that I've been saying in Slack. So I'm going to have mm. to have it out with him at some point. But uh, well, yeah. I mean, look, I, I get the notion. I, I think the Kawhi thing... Um, is more, well, I, I shouldn't say that. Depending on what, what you would have to say? give up. To, no, I was going to say it's more disappointing, but I, I don't actually mean that. Um, depending on what you had to give up for Kawhi or uh, Machado really makes the difference. But there is a reasonable chance, probably better with Machado, that you could have success this year. They like it here. Um, it's the you know best place they've ever played you know whatever and you sign them and keep them around like this is a this is a trial worth taking i mean we're not in siberia here hold on we're not in siberia here i mean there's a reasonable chance but the sixers i think it made a little bit more sense because you you know there you if you get Kawhi, you're probably the odds-on favorite in the East. You're almost guaranteed to go to the finals. I, I don't want to say that. You have a very yeah, good you chance are. of going to no, the finals. No. no, you're right. You are. Um, you're, the, you're the favorite at that point. And basketball is a lot more predictable in terms of you could look at a roster and say, all right, here's where we're going to be, compared to baseball, which is just throw all the cards in the air once the playoffs come. So it's riskier for the Phils to go out and get Machado. That said, the Phils are you know, in first place. They have really good pitching, and the problem is, you know, they got no lineup, and yet they're still this good. You know, their pitching has taken them this far. They need, they really, adding a guy like Machado can make a huge difference to their lineup, um, you know, and legitimize what they're doing. And oh, by the way, there's not a lot of interest in the Phillies. So your worst thing is you bring baseball fans back, and maybe it costs you a prospect, and maybe it's not the most pragmatic thing. I'm not saying they should have given up the farm for Machado, and at a certain point, you got you to gotta pull up stakes. So I'm not upset with Clintech, but I think as sports fans, and I, this is something I always come back to, we, we are allowed to be disappointed about these things. I hate that pragmatic, no, don't worry about it, things will be fine. You know, they might. But it hurts when you come up on the short end of this, even if you're not mad at the team for not being stupid. Like, you can feel both ways. I'm glad they weren't stupid, but I'm also highly disappointed that this didn't happen for for my fandom. I I don't think they're mutually exclusive things. And uh, I'm disappointed on all of them. LeBron, Kawhi, Machado, uh, they're all disappointing things because all of them would have given both of those teams legitimate, if not good, chances to represent their conference or league in in the finals uh, in the coming months. See, I, year. it sounds like you thought that Machado, that trade would have made more sense. And and I, I'm going to disagree with you for, for a real simple premise. So I think that Machado, um, you know, the, the Dodgers are going to be pretty close to the luxury tax if they decide that they want to try to extend him after this year. The Yankees, I think, are going to be willing to put 40-ish million on the table for him. 
uh, in an effort to not only draw themselves closer to the Red Sox, but to ultimately pass them and kind of make a Golden State Warriors of of, uh, the AL. That's fine. Then we'll go get Bryce Cates. See, but here's the problem. So, and I think baseball is, you know, we don't talk about baseball as much as we did maybe this time last year. Um, Because you hate baseball. Well, I, I don't hate baseball. I just don't think the Phillies are fun to watch right now. And that's, I'm allowed to have that opinion. But um, when I when I look at it, you know, we seem to like to come back to the idea that just because you have a lot of money or just because you cannot spend means that a player should inherently then pick your team. And in some cases, it works out like that. But I think between the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Phillies, like I think they're all going to offer somewhere in like the 35 to $40 million range. And, you know, there there is, I guess, some kind of logic behind saying, hey, you know what, if, if you're able to get him and persuade him over two months of playing in a packed Citizens Bank Park, maybe he doesn't get eyes for free agency. Maybe he really does think about re-upping in Philly. And I think to some extent for, for LA, it makes a lot of sense. It gets them another star in a, in a sport that is deprived of recognizable stars, that's that's deprived of name recognition. But, you know, for the, for the Dodgers, like, it's just like any other athlete that goes out to LA. I think the pressure in a lot of ways is diminished. He's in a big market, but I, you know, the LA sports scene isn't something that you're going to have cameras shoved in your face as much as you would have in Philly or even as you would in, you know, New York. I, I think once you get to go experience the LA lifestyle and you know that they're going to be able to come in with a competitive offer, if you end up meshing well with that locker room, then, you know, maybe no amount of money that the Yankees offer you or the Phillies offer you is going to be able to intrigue you. So, from that vantage point, I can kind of agree with you that it's a missed opportunity. But to me, Kawhi's the bigger miss because I don't think what you were theoretically giving up for Kawhi or, or what the reported trades had been, I don't think you were giving up as much value. And I think the fact that, look, you insert one guy into a basketball lineup, one player of a top three or top two two-way player in basketball in your five-man lineup uh, is so much more impactful than a singular hitter on a baseball team and granted uh, as well that Machado is is insisting on playing a position that he's just not great at defensively so you kind of put these things together and to me not only are you missing out on the big splash and the big uh, emphasis and the the turning point in the Eastern Conference that you could have had with Kawhi but you also miss out on having him for a full year it's not a two-month rental it's an entire season to try to convince him about your team so if if we're looking at it realistically, I think, I think you have a better chance of convincing a guy over the course of a year and making the NBA Finals to re-up than you would have with Manny Machado, where you maybe are able to win the division, probably get knocked out maybe in the first round, or or you get beaten by a superior team in the second round, and you try to make that pitch again. They're both disappointing, but like to me, I, I think Kawhi is still the bigger miss. Uh, okay. Yeah, I agree with you. I, 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 I'm not arguing the other side. I agree with almost everything you just said. Noted. I, I think. I guess. I guess I considered Machado slightly more likely. I mean, this was looking like a done deal 48 hours ago. Where yeah. at no point have I actually felt that they were going to get Kawhi. It's. It still sort of felt like a reach. So I think it maybe is more disappointing from that regard because it was like, I know yesterday we were talking about like, hey, when are we going to be able to write the post that he's coming to the Phillies? It, this should be done in 24 hours, and then you know, boom, Magic Johnson steals him. Yeah. Uh, um. The the only other thing. Um, and, and I, I haven't really put a lot into this and I didn't write it on the site, but so much of what I had written about Kawhi in the past, um, and a lot of the stuff that you would see from guys like Chris Sheridan talking about how he thought that Popovich was going to do his former assistant, Brett Brown, a solid in trading him. And that was what league circles seemed to think was going to happen. I've written so many times that for the Sixers, if you're going to make a move on this guy, you're going to know him from a front office perspective and a coaching perspective, because Monty Williams had worked in the front office with R.C. Buford and the Spurs, and obviously Brett Brown had worked as an assistant coach on a staff that that led to Kawhi Leonard being this like middle of the first round pick into a when healthy top three player in the NBA. And I, I'd always use that as well if the Sixers are making it an offer or if they're aggressively pursuing him in a trade, then that means they know him as a player and as a man. And I've always used it from that vantage point, that like hopeful fan side, where it's like. They're going to go after him, and if they do, it's because they believe in him. I haven't really entertained the idea, and maybe this is part of of the problem. Maybe there was something. Maybe there is a red flag. Like, maybe there was something in the medical report. You know, Kawhi had been working with the Sixers team doctor 
um, more than he had been working with the Spurs medical staff. So perhaps something between the team's physician, what Brett Brown knows, and what Monty Williams knew most recently, having left the front office in San Antonio, led them to have some kind of pause. And it's not out of the realm of possibility that Popovich said, yo, to, to Brett, like, look, this guy's really good and you can get him, but we really don't think he's going to want to re-up with you in a year. And that's Popovich essentially doing Brett Brown a solid. I don't know. I'm not saying that's what happened. And I'm not looking to make an excuse, but I think there is another side to this potentially that, you know, in the emotion, we don't necessarily, you know, take into account. Yeah, you, you might be right. And quite honestly, I mean, I'm all, I was all in on the Kawhi flyer. He's that good. And look, if you come here and you make the finals and, and Ben Simmons becomes a, you know, first team all-star and Joel, I mean, you you have three first or second team all-stars potentially on your team. That's a reasonably possible thing that could have happened. You know, why would you want to leave? He might see his path to a championship here in Philly. That said, he seems like an entitled dick. Like, you don't, you don't want to play in San Antonio. He gets traded to Toronto. Immediately, the reports are he doesn't want to go to Toronto. Like, I get it. You're a star. You want to have your own say. Like, you haven't reached that point in your career yet where you get to have that say. That comes next year. Like, you know, I get these guys are mad. These are their lives, and I don't want to be cavalier about guys being traded. Like, I completely understand why DeMar DeRozan is disappointed. But, you well, know, it, it, Kawhi's being, a like, a big baby here. Uh, Toronto, again... You're talking to the number one, number two, what, number two seed in the conference. Now, granted, I don't know, you know, I mean, him, him and Lowry might be good enough to, to compete with the Celtics. That's not unreasonable. But, like, get, get over yourself, man. Like, he does seem like there's there's an issue here. So that part of it, you know, is, I guess, good, you know, if we're looking for a silver lining. Yeah, I mean, neither, neither player is happy that they're being traded. Now, I think... That obviously DeRozan has a lot more of a reason to be upset. The reports were that last, I think it was in the last week, uh, out in Vegas at Summer League, DeMar DeRozan was guaranteed by um, uh, the Toronto Raptors front office that he would not be part of any trade discussions. And he went on his Instagram story overnight and posted a few things that yeah. certainly made it sound like he was upset. Lou Williams actually tweeted out, I'm hurt, bro. I'm hurt. My dog gave that city and organization his heart and soul. He was loyal to the soil and got stabbed in the back. Yeah, so I think DeMar it, is a much more reasonable thing for being upset because he wanted to be there. He was happy there. Kawhi... He signed, he signed a big deal to be there. And the problem yeah. for him is in, in the NBA CBA, he missed having the opportunity to ask for a no trade clause by one year. That happens after year eight. And he signed an extension, I believe, after year seven in the league. So Right. And the difference is Kawhi has, wants to get traded, but also wants to have his say to, like, I want to go to exactly one team and nobody else. Like that, I always find that as, as one of the most unfair things a player can do to a team. If you want out, fine. Talk about, talk about how you want out. But don't want out and say... I'm only going to accept this or not put up a fight with this if you trade me to one team. I mean, here's a report. Kawhi Leonard could sit out entire season for Raptors that if necessary happen. per Sean Devaney. Like, go, go yeah, away. I, I don't think that's I know real. he's posturing, but go away. Go I away. mean, even last night, though, Kyle, like there there were the reports that Kawhi was considering going in and, and being part of the uh, USA men's basketball camp, which is run by Greg Popovich, his now former coach with San Antonio. So, uh, so much of the stuff that goes on Jay Wright and soon to be the next head coach, Jay Wright. Yeah. Um, by the way, Josh Hart, MVP of the summer league, he's going to be LeBron's new Robin, by the way, Dante Cunningham just just got a, uh, a new deal, by the way, Dante Cunningham got a deal. Jalen Brunson, second round pick gets a three or four year guarantee, which is unheard of, unheard of for a second round pick this early to pay off his, uh, Nova, his Nova loans. Um, you realize he was I'm on glad. scholarship, right? No, I, I know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just, just making sure you understood yeah. that. Then. He's got to realize he also. A... I've seen you take digs about guys leaving after three years. You also realize he. I literally he was, took he was one a dig in a post. I took one yeah. dig in a post that I That's knew you were going to prove as a joke, and you got all upset about it. Well, you realize he graduated in three years, right? He was a graduate student in his junior was year. He actually graduated. That's good. Yes, That's very a lot exciting. of those. Right. A lot of them. A lot of the. Oh, it was the DiVincenzo post. It was one that DiVincenzo had. DiVincenzo was had like three dollars in his bank account, and I joked that, uh, despite what Kyle may or may not say, not every Nova kid goes on to have massive financial success immediately after graduation, uh, and that Nova's becoming a uh, uh, a player academy, which it is, but that's okay because they're they're very good. Yeah, well, that's fine. Good. I'll tell you, they're a player academy that wins national championships. But my point was, you were you were taking a dig about the guys to leave early. 
almost most of the guys by the time they hit their fourth year at Nova are grad students because they're there all summer, like and they graduate a hundred percent of their four year players. So get off my dick. That's awesome. Good for them. Uh yeah. So uh but no, seriously, Josh Hart might become LeBron's uh Robin here. Stop. No. Josh he Hart's fits, a good player. He's a good He fits player. well with him. He's exactly well, the sort league. of guy LeBron likes to surround himself with. Not an alpha, but you know, a versatile, you know, versatile guy. Seriously. Um should we talk about CSN piece? <clears throat> yeah, I think we should. I think that needs to get touched on. Should we touch it? Uh, so we can't clocked in around 4,200 words, which uh, I don't know if that's a site record, but it, it's in the top five, I'd bet. Um, so so Kevin did, I would say Kevin did most of the legwork on this. Um, I contributed uh, as, as much as possible, obviously uh, edited it. Um, Can you wrote, tell everybody what you've been working on so much? Because I, I occasionally get the tweet or we get the feedback about the podcast that you're not around. Can you just let everybody know really briefly what you've been working on and why you've been dead to the world? Meaning this post? No, no, or, no. no. Oh. The, the, the grand scheme of things. Well, what, yeah, what's look, been taking a lot of your time? Well, yeah, so we're, we're focusing pretty heavily on the sports betting thing. And first of all, um, now that we have a lot, of, you know, for seven years, I wrote, you know, 80% of the posts on the site over the course of seven years. Uh, that is... That is an unsustainable pace. Uh, I think I was at a point where, at least on weekdays, I was averaging like five to six posts a day for you know five years. You, you can't do that in perpetuity. Um, so that's a big part of having other people. You know, before it was Jim, now it's it's Kevin and and you and Bob and and all the other guys. Um, you know, so part of that is just not being able to write every day. Part of it is the reason having a bunch of writers is allowing me uh, frees me up to do some of the business side of things like I enjoy I would say 50 50 um, maybe early on I enjoyed the posting more and the business side less and over time I've grown to enjoy the business side equally as much as the posting side so like I don't view myself as like a writer or you know I guess a blogger but like I you know view myself I'm um, half blogger and half like guy who runs his, his own business um, so especially during the summer we did it last year and what it was just me last year, so the site really took a nosedive because I spent a couple of months trying to put this together so we can have, um, you know, all of the guys become a part of the site. Um, and, you know, that took time, and, you know, we went out and worked with Jeff and Mike, who invested a little money, and then we went out and got all these guys. So that's what I worked on last summer. Typically, especially with the Phillies not being as relevant as they once were, the summer is a better time to do that, certainly, than football season um, or even the spring. Uh, and then this year, uh, we, we do have the guys writing. So the site hasn't missed a beat. I mean, there's a ton of content on the site. I'm very happy with the stuff that's up there, but I've been focusing just a lot on, uh, the business side of things. And a big part of that is the, the sports betting thing. I think, um, you know, it might not necessarily be immediately apparent to our audience. Um, there's two facets to it. One is I do think you're going to start to see a lot of smart, sports betting content not like the charlatans the locks guys none of that bullshit but like smart content observation just general discussion permeate regular sports conversations so from a content standpoint we're starting to focus on like different ways to do that and do it without turning it into a betting site it's not what we're trying to do the other part of that is philly is kind of going to be ground zero for legal sports betting new jersey's first delaware it's legal but not online um new jersey online is coming very very soon like potentially within days or weeks. Um, Pennsylvania is in this weird zone where it looks like some casinos might open by football season, and then maybe there's some online options by the end of the year. Um, the point is, Philly might be the market that is in the middle of the legal sports betting boom. And, you know, given our audience size and the demographic they're in, like from a business standpoint, this is a very good opportunity to capitalize on because these casinos and sports books are going to want to reach people and, we reach people. Um, so I've been focusing a lot on that. We're building out some, some guides for, for gambling. We're building out some content. We're building out, um, you know, lists and reviews of all the options and sites to walk people through. Cause it'll be confusing. And how do I play? What if I live in New Jersey, but work in PA? So we're doing a lot of that. And, uh, you know, that's taken up a lot of time because it's actually, 
um, kind of a convoluted process because it's a l- regulated gambling industry. It's not like just promoting hats or shirts. Like, you know, you got to get approved by the state in some cases. You got to get, you know, there's just a lot of moving pieces. Um, so I've been focusing on that because I think from a business standpoint, it is a great opportunity for the site. And if we can get a lot of those pieces in place um, by football season, it has the potential to uh, really kind of fuel the site and and allow us to do to reinvest some more money and, and do more cool things and, and make it that much better. I think that could be a, a big, like a big engine for that. So that's what I've been spending a lot of the time doing a lot of the time, almost all of the time. All right. Now back to NBC sports, Philadelphia's fantastic. Uh, and this is the rest of the time, the last yeah. four days. No, yep. no. Um, the last couple of days. Um, so Kevin, yeah, Kevin put together this piece a few weeks ago. He wrote about what the hell is going on at, at Philly, uh, NBC sports, Philly, after you know all of these layoffs firings non-renewals whatever you want to call them uh it's definitely taken on a different tone nbc has clearly come in and imposed their will uh there's a lot of unhappy people there more so who have left there which is understandable but at the same time you know you have to take some of those critiques with a grain of salt people are always going to get left behind and be unhappy about it um after he did this piece we got a of feedback from uh, people who are both still there and no longer there. And uh, a lot of it was, it was good enough. We're like, we have to do another piece here because this is interesting stuff. It's, it's stuff from people who've been there. And there was enough similarities between so many of these comments that we felt we could paint an accurate picture, not just of one person who had sour grapes or whatever, but like a host of people who felt strongly about certain people and the way certain things were done and, and the way they've moved the ball forward. Um, so yeah, we, we, we put together this piece. Um, we got, you know, people, no one wanted to use their name understandably, but, um, there's a lot of, you know, people anonymously quoted in there. We talked to even more to sort of corroborate those details and just understand, you know, kind of what people felt was going on at the network. And, and also to be fair to, to NBC Sports Philly, you know, when you lay lay off someone who's spent a long time in, in TV and then they're left behind because they want digital folks, you know, people become unhappy. But I don't necessarily think that's the wrong business decision for NBC Sports Philly. Uh, where I think the, the real crux of it is, is what are the things they are doing to try and move the ball forward? Ultimately, what matters to them is carriage fees and people continuing to either, um, you know, pay for them indirectly through their cable bill or, you know, down the line, subscribe directly online or through streaming services. That allows them to fund and continue to fund uh, the game broadcast. That's what really matters. If they have those broadcasts, they can compel people to pay those carriage fees because it's kind of a mandatory for sports fans to uh watch them if they want to watch their teams um but there's still a you know the news outlet a, a sports media outlet and it's like what are they doing that is unique or inventive or different and i think that's where they're having a lot of problems you're trying to have I, it sounds like tv people do things um in a world that is not you know built for t- traditional tv people to succeed and i think that's where there's valid criticism so that was kind of the the crux of this piece, and uh, I thought we I thought it was pretty fairly done. There's definitely some harsh things in there, particularly Michelle Murray, who's I guess a a, a VP of content over there. Um, we heard from a lot of people who did not like her. Um, she took the brunt of it, but I think there's a lot of question about the direction they're taking from a content standpoint and how they want to. Um, you know, like shows like Quick Slants and things they're doing online, you know, there's a meeting how to make a viral video, supposedly, you know, these things are like, you know, they feel kind of the, you know, I don't think they're speaking to fans. I don't think their their content things are relevant to fans now the way they used to be. Um, That's kind of what this piece was about. Yeah, I, um, I really liked the idea. I think the biggest revelation in it was, uh, or or the thing that I, I thought was the funniest was, the fact that they were installing TVs in the newsroom with a grid that was going to serve for digital postings where they were going to, you know, essentially, I guess, try to program when they were going to put out either different content on a rigid schedule or they were going to put out tweets um, or or whatever else. Um, the the whole thing that, that Comcast has done or NBCSN Philly or whatever uh, that has never made sense to me is, and, and I, I think we had talked about this in Slack at one point, there, there were certain faces to that network that 
I think you build trust with, like Ron Burke, Anil Hartman, Michael Barkan, um, even Leslie Goodell. There are people that you get used to seeing, and and I never expected anything uh, in terms of like Ron Burke being an insider or or Neil Hartman breaking the Manny Machado trade, right? But I I did get used to every morning waking up and turning on Sports Rise and being able to get my local flair and probably watch like the first 10, 15 minutes of it. And there's a connection that you develop as as somebody who is a viewer of a show. And when they decided to kind of make the the wide sweeping firings and kicking out, and there was the the rumor that Neil Hartman wasn't allowed back in the building to get his stuff and put it in a box and take it out. That's the kind of thing that as somebody who used to use that network as as like one of the favorites on the remote or whatever, to me, like that's a huge turnoff as a consumer of of their media and not knowing who's going to be on the network at any given point. Um, I think might have been a little bit up, more upsetting uh, when these initial firings went down. But then I look at people like Marshall Harris, who, by the way, I think is talented and I think does a good job. Marshall Harris was a guy who I thought was really versatile in the roles that they put him in and, you know, pregame or postgame for like Sixers or for the Phillies. And he seemed like he had a good kind of um, persona online. I thought he understood how to use social media. He knew how to like, I, I know it sounds stupid, but like he knew how to tweet. He seemed to understand the way that things were starting to trend and when when his contract didn't get renewed i i was actually more flabbergasted by that than i think i was by like the the firings or lettings go of of like ron burke and neil hartman because i thought this guy is like the perfect he's like the personification to me at least from a distance not knowing him or not knowing anybody at the network like to me he was the personification of like what is what it was that i thought a regional sports network like nbcsn philly would want to have in their talent and the fact that they didn't bring him back it, it just kind of told me that I, I don't think they have a vision or they have an understanding of what it is they really are looking for going forward. Yeah. Um, let me address both of those things in order. I, I'd say I don't know for sure, by the way, that the situation when uh, Neil Hartman, if he was not let in. I mean, that's sometimes standard with, you know, when you let someone go. But I, I don't know that for sure. Um, you know, I'll take your word for it if you've heard it or whatever. But I, I, I don't want to put a stamp on that. Um, but. Uh, I would say the the first point you made about um, the grid, the TVs, that was a, an anecdote that I was I, for a little while I wasn't sure if we should include it <clears throat> because look, if, if people trying to get organized and we all f- try and find ways to to be a little bit more organized, and I think there was a definite effort, and that was a theme we got. You know, it's not like they're not trying, but one of the things I think that was kind of laughable about it uh, is the way it was presented to us is like you know you're you're. And I've always find, you know, if you're coming from a TV world or a newspaper world, it's the same idea. Things are scheduled. The newspaper goes out. Your deadline is this time. Like everything is regimented. TV, it's very regimented. You, you know, down to the second of when things are on the air, when you got to have packages ready, all of that stuff. Um, digital media is, it's, it's always, it's 24 seven, 365. Nothing ever stops. There's nothing preventing you from putting up something at a certain time. Something like a podcast is a reasonable thing to schedule. How we do our show every Monday, Wednesday at exactly Monday, Wednesday, Friday, exactly at seven a.m. Right? <laughs> uh, no, but like there are certain things that are reasonable to schedule. But you know, unlike TV, you're dealing with a world that happen. Everything happens in real time. So, so this having this big and again, I don't know exactly the particulars of these grids or whatever, so I don't want to draw too much from it, but I do think anecdotally it's a good way of, you know, people who are used to this very scheduled, you know, the rundown for the show and what time it's going to be on air and all this, digital media doesn't work that day. The most successful things typically are spontaneous. Like, you know, for every game of zones that you could have that is pre-planned that has a drop day and all of this stuff, 90% of the stuff is like, well, shit happens and we're going to react to it and let's see if we could do so in a creative way. Um, you can't pre-schedule that stuff. And it's not just about covering news. It's about what people are talking about, an interesting thing that happened. You know, you have to be able to capitalize on those things in real time. And the gist we got and the reason why we wind up, wound up including that was because there was this picture painted that, you know, they were trying to under it was people who didn't really understand the digital world were trying to understand it now they've since brought travis hughes in to kind of run their their digital content side he's founded i believe uh broad street hockey he was with sb nation i know him a little bit um he was not part of this piece by the way other than being mentioned 
probably say that after I say if I know somebody, but I think he's very good. And like that is someone who started online. He was overseeing sites for SB Nation. So he gets it. And I think you can already start to see little improvements in that regard. Like they're doing, you know, videos that are designed and cut and edited for social media which by the way, differ from the way videos on TV are. Like they used to just take a segment of quick slants and like tweet it out. That quick slants, if nothing else, is a TV product. It is not an online product, certainly not a social media product. Lately, I've been noticing they do more, you know, square, tightly edited social media videos. So that, I don't know if that's attributable to uh, uh, Travis, but my guess is it would be. So like, those are good things. Um, so they are trying. Um, but, you know, I think there was this notion that people didn't really understand that are trying to do it. Your point about uh, Neil Hartman and Marshall Harris, I actually agree mostly with. Like, n- you know, people like Neil Hartman was great on TV. The problem is, you know, he, they he did write some blogs for them. You could tell they were trying people out in these new roles. And they sucked. Like, with all due respect to Neil Hartman, and I never wrote a post about it because I thought it was just too mean and unfair because it wasn't his strength. He was literally the worst blogger they ever heard. Like, his blog posts were like, the Flyers play a game tonight. You should be excited. Like, just a complete whiff on what that was uh, and what it needed to be. So, you know, some of those people, I think, struggled to become versatile. Marshall Harris, I would agree with you on. Like, they're someone who I don't think he's the most remarkable, dynamic media person in existence. Um, but I thought he was good on TV. He did everything they asked him, Phillies Clubhouse, post-game shows, whatever. Um, I don't know what he was like as an employee or any of that. Um, but I know he did all that stuff. Um, I've personally witnessed him around athletes. I've, there, was a, there was a Cole Hamels uh, charity event or a Chase Utley charity event some years ago. And it was right after Hamels, uh, I think got suspended for plunking Bryce Harper and Hamels was there on the red carpet and Marshall was trying to get him to do an interview. And Cole was like, no, 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 no. Like I'm not talking about this, but he had a good enough rapport with him where he was able to push back and you could tell Cole was a little pissy about the thing, but he was like, look, I'm not promise. I'm not going to ask you about it. I just want to get you you know, talking about Chase Utley's animals. Like, we're here covering this thing. I need a soundbite. And, like, watched him do that. That is a skill that you develop in a rapport with, you know, big-name athletes. Uh, and you're right. He's good. He was good on social media. He Like, he could seemingly do everything. And someone brought that up to us in the reporting of this. And even with Jessica Camarado, kind of same thing, yeah. although I guess she was less of a TV person. But, like, theirs were people who were, like, doing the things they asked. They were versatile on TV. They could do a hit on a post-game show. They could sit at a desk. They were good on social media. In Jessica's case, she could write. In Marshall's, Marshall's case, you know, he was a good interactive personality on social media who seemed to get it. Unlike Dee Lynham, who, you know, four hours after news breaks is like, we're hearing this, you know, still on Twitter. Like, clearly just doesn't get the medium. And that's okay. Um I was surprised that Marshall as well, I guess is a, is a very long winded set way of saying that it just doesn't seem, seems like he was the one guy who was doing whatever with the exception of John Clark. Like I, like John Clark has become like the greatest, he has stuff on Instagram. It gets me mad. I'm like, how the fuck? Like, you know, we used to be able to be first on this stuff and like something happens and John Clark. Now he, I think sometimes he steals the video from other like tweets and stuff, but it's on his Instagram instantly. And a lot of the stuff on his Instagram is his own video. He gets so much access that like there's unique video on John Clark's Instagram and he weaves that seamlessly with a guy who's good on TV. So, um, you know, I, I, I think he, like, he's really good. And, and I thought Marshall Harris to a lesser extent was doing those things. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really have anything to add to it. I'm out of air after that. Um, yeah. I mean, that was the, that was the crux of this. Um, you know, that was kind of the crux of this piece. Uh, I don't know. I think it's good I, that I people came out and, and like willingly offered up information. And, and it was funny because I think it was like right after people the came out post. of the well, woodwork. It was, it was the first, um, the first post that Kevin did, there was somebody on Twitter who went after him and said, I can't believe you're, you're trying to capitalize or monetize uh, the way that these people have been let go from their jobs. You should be ashamed of yourself. It's like, well, that's not what happened, right? And so it. I didn't even see that, but yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. And so I'm like, and, and it's like, if you read the first post that Kevin did, like, that's not what it was. He wasn't dancing on the graves of, you know, Molly Sullivan and Jess Camarado and Marshall Harris and company. It was just like, 
the initial post was like, they got rid of these people and we don't really understand what their direction is. And then this one, I think, because there were, was it six, seven, eight people that came out for it and, and offered up um, what what appeared to be a lot of the same sort of sentiment about uh, people in charge and about the direction that the network's going in. Like it, it kind of gives you, I think, a, a more well-rounded idea of what's going on behind the scenes. And, and in fairness, you know, I, I don't know any of these people and I don't know any of the people that are in higher management there, but you know, they're, they're going to take a hit. And one of the big things I guess for them is, you know, we always talk about what happened to newspapers and what is currently happening to newspapers and that old medium kind of going by the wayside and being replaced with blogs and, and other websites and people knowing that they can get their, their sports reporting and, and news reporting instantly, you know, on, on Twitter and social media. And, and there have been plenty of things written about, you know, how, how the newspaper industry is, is trying to change and trying to get people back on board with it. And I think to some extent, like these regional sports networks are in a similar kind of boat where, Sure you can't you can't keep up with ESPN, you know, even to some extent, like we saw I think it was about a year ago, almost a year to the date that we talked about what FS what FS1 was doing. Remember, they they stopped doing the written word on their website. They went to 100 percent video in an effort, I guess, in some way to keep up with what ESPN was doing and to also kind of, you know, promote their programming. But where they would get rid of, you know, saying the top 10 reasons the Sixers should trade for Kawhi Leonard, it would be like Colin Coward's 10 reasons. And they would, you know, market everything based around the personalities that they had poached from ESPN and other networks. You know, we saw a, a what I would consider a pretty big giant in the media industry in Fox making that kind of a of a change. And it, it is and it has been interesting to see the way that NBCSN Philly is trying to do it. Now, I, I don't think that any of the things that they're doing where they're trying to be what ESPN was 10 years ago, the idea of putting Derek Gunn and Barrett Brooks or whomever in the same studio 10 feet apart looking at two separate cameras, like I don't think that makes sense. I can tell you that there was one time that uh, Phil and I recorded an episode of Crossing Broad FC at, at his house. And instead of just using one mic and just kind of sharing it and putting it on a table between the two of us, we both tried to use our own mics in the same room, separated by like 10 feet. And it was like the most awkward thing. Like the show was okay, but it was just weird to like hear and know that he was over there and we weren't looking at each other because we didn't want the feedback on the mics. So I can't imagine that that's really the most comfortable situation for this. most people record in like a studio setting they are using separate mics right that is a re- yeah, yeah. That is a reasonable saying, like, thing you were doing no but what i'm saying is like we weren't looking at each other because the way that these that these mics work it's not where it's just directly funneled into like one specific area where like there's no feedback that's going to come off the other mics and we kept messing with the gains and everything and the best way to do it was essentially to face away from each other so it's like you know that the person's there but you're not looking at them it's the same thing with what those guys are doing on quick slants and like to me th- it's funny I think we had talked about it at the at the, reminds me the of gathering. A great family reminds me of sorry. It reminds me of a great family guy quote. Your father won't even look me in the back of the head anymore. <laughs> um, but when when we got together at, at Kevin's house as the collective group, you know, we kind of talked about the fact that it doesn't make any sense why if they're trying to go for a more casual appearance or to not come off as stuffy or to to go new age, why they don't just get rid of the desk, you know, on some of the shows. Like, why is everything behind a desk? And it made me think back to like. 2002 remember daily news live they used to have the old set with the bricks in the background and there were four chairs and almost looked like espn sports reporters to me like you got a I lot mean, of dude that, package there was a lot of dude package in that yeah. setup that the like, desk the desk exists to hide dude package and upskirts like 100 all right well all right well <laughs> then and now now to be fair uh, espn has done away with the desk and and yeah, Fox, they, Fox they, News, I don't think just does it that like they just short skirts, bring them on. Like I I flipped it on before, and Jillian Mealy was one of four women there with with skirts like highly above the knees with no desk. So for some, that is a viewer strategy. Uh, for others, yeah, you know. do not want to see Bill Conlon's package, and especially <laughs> oh, you don't want to see oh, Bill Conlon's no. package now, or no, Michael B's for God, that matter. Stop. Stop. I imagine them having little Stop. blue glasses, rim glasses. On Stop. Okay, carry on. No, <laughs> God, no, no. Um, but no, like, I, I don't know what they're going to do. And, and honestly, like, I think that's going to be one of the more interesting things going forward. But I can tell you, as somebody who I think falls in a pretty key, key demographic for them, I don't turn them on at all. The only time I turn on NBCSN Philly at this point is for the games. I don't watch pregame live, and I, I only occasionally watch a little bit of postgame live if I know a player interview is coming up or a press conference is coming up. Like, that's my exposure to the network. So then that kind of comes back to a thing that Bob and I talked about on Monday, which was that 2008 Phillies World, doc, you know, World Series documentary 
where they essentially cut out the entire regular season and put in like five or six actual game footage clips. And I get that money is an issue. And, you know, part of the thing that I think came out in this story and, and, you know, some people had kind of opined on, on Twitter was, you know, maybe these networks don't actually have as much money as you would think, not just having the NBC or Comcast backing or the name on the, on the letterhead means that you granted all this, like an unlimited set of cash. But to me, if, if that was like the one thing that's supposed to pull me in as somebody who doesn't watch the network all that much, if I tune in and, and the first thing I see is this documentary to recap the first championship in Philadelphia in 28 years, and it looks like a rain delay uh, video yearbook where the production value seems low, low regional network, and it doesn't look like something that would rival or even come close to being like a, a B minus version of an ESPN 30 for 30, then I, I don't even think it's worth making it. You brought eyes in, but like, but at what cost? That doesn't yeah. make me. That doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence in the next thing they're going to produce. Well, the answer is probably at lower cost than doing it the way you want. And you know, I don't want this to come across as you know Kevin's initial post, and then the the critique of the OA piece, and then this is like we're we're you know putting some random hits on on NBC Sports Philly. And I think the timing that they all kind of came together is a little unfortunate, but it is what it is. But I think you know, I actually you know tried to defend them quite a bit in this piece because I think. You know, most fans don't realize that most of their money is made with the game broadcast. Like, and the reason Fox News went to all videos because text doesn't make money anymore, you know, and or it doesn't make, you know, it, it, it can't justify itself because the online ad industry sucks. Like there there are all these things working against them. People don't need highlight shows anymore. So sports rises, whatever. Daily News Live, why it used to be a great format, that you know, the function of that show is served by social media and Twitter and blogs now. Like, all those conversations have happened long before 5 o'clock. Um, it did have a unique personality with these longtime guys, but now they, you know, it's 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 a watered-down product now. Uh, online, you know, you can't make money without a high number of clicks on text unless you have other ways of monetizing that, you know? Look at 97.5. They do Fantasy Fest. Look at WIP. They do Wing Bowl. Um, look at what we do. Like we sell t-shirts like the, the site would not exist. This site would not exist as it is certainly with not all these people. If we, part of the thing we did wasn't just ad networks, but pushing t-shirts or affiliate opportunities and promoting prime day or gambling sites. Like we're trying to do things that are different because just putting ads on the site while they make money, it doesn't make enough. It doesn't scale as easily unless you have hundreds of thousands of daily readers. Um, so I get why, you know, so we're not trying to shit on them. Like, I get why they're doing all these things. But I think to your point, um, they do have, if NBC Sports has come in and kind of tried to make everything the same across the regional networks, NBC Sports has plenty of money. And if you're going to put a product out, it feels like, not that it's cheap, but there's no reason why it should look like, local production like you described the Phillies thing they have more than enough resources to do those things now they might not be allocated there and then that's a critique of NBC but like if you're going to do these things you know it's inexcusable to have a piece look like it's a rain delay piece or a Phillies home companion piece you could reasonably have done you know the production value definitely could have been turned up a notch I mean they have those resources they have those graphics packages and those cameras and the bit like you could have done it better. And I think that was, you know, I thought Bob's critique was very fair. And they're like, hey, this is fine. The people who worked on it aren't bad people or whatever. But, like, there's clearly just not – it's not to the level – no one's expecting a full-on 30 for 30. But, like, it looks like local television. And it doesn't have to. And Quick Slants looks like local television. And it doesn't have to. Like, as much as we all hate First Take or whatever, those shows, like – they have a certain slickness to them. There's a certain cadence. There's a certain production value. And, you know, quick slant just feels like people are pulling the crank. You know, I interned there in 2003 at the height of, you know, them being relevant. And even then, I remember saying to a cameraman or an editor, like, oh, you know, I can't wait to go home and watch Sports Rise, you know, because I worked on this piece or whatever. And and they were like, why would you want to watch this crap? Like, <laughs> And I laughed. And at the time, I was in college and I didn't get it. Um, but I think like, you know, their experiences, a lot of days they're just turning the crank. We got, this is how we fill this block. This is how we fill this block. And everything's very structured and regimented. And that worked in a TV world where there weren't a lot of other options, but that sort of sameness and lack of creativity, um, you know, you see where it struggles in the modern world, but you know, 
again, I don't want it to come across as like we're 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 trying to shit on them because I, if nothing else, understand why they have to make changes and all of these things. But I feel like, you know, and and I think this was echoed by a lot of people. They're just not sure how to move that ball forward, and there's a lack of commitment and direction from the the national and and the local level. It's probably part of enough the sh- on NBC, but go, yeah, go I mean, ahead. I I think For honestly, me, like part of the shame is. At the the bottom of the post, Kevin's got the video of, um, I think it was Sports Night. And I remember just something about clicking it and listening to the the old Sports Night intro and seeing like Jim Tomey hit the home run uh, in the intro. Something about that and and hearing the voices and seeing the old faces, there's this nice bit of nostalgia where I'm like, man, I, I really do miss that. And I really miss that network being important enough for me to, to make it part of my, my daily routine or, or one of those networks that I want to cycle through. And, but and that's honestly, not a like, reason to keep doing it. Nostalgia, you know, is not a reason to keep doing something. I would agree with no, you. No, no, and I think and, most and people so what are I'm saying is I, yeah. I don't know if we're going to get to a point, like I don't know if there's anybody right now or any program that they're doing right now where in 10 or 15 years, I would look back and see an intro, just like simply the intro to the show and think, man, those are some good times. Like those are some good days. And, and there used to be a lot of people that I wanted to watch and I trusted with my sports news. And maybe it's just because it's, it's the changing landscape of, of sports media. But to some extent, I think it's kind of a shame. But, yeah, it's, it's about all I have on. Uh, that's all I got to say about that. That's all we got. All right. Yeah, I got uh, By the way, I, I by the way um, breaking-ish news, um, Marcus, oh Smart, Marcus Smart and the Celtics are finalizing a 48 48- to $52 million deal over four years, which gets them within $8 million of the uh, luxury tax threshold, which is good for the Sixers in the sense that that pretty much takes Boston out of any kind of being a big player without having to move one of their um, major star pieces, including like a Kyrie or a Gordon Hayward, even a, uh, an Al Horford. They're certainly not going to move like Jalen Brown or, or uh, Jason Tatum, but um, any kind of superstar deal they would want to make now, they would have to trade a, a star for a star. So that's good. That's good news, sort of. There you go. Some good yeah. news. Yeah. All right. Um, I guess we'll be back. Are we going to be back Friday? What do you think? There's, There have been two people on Twitter who have gotten really upset about me saying, we should be back on Friday, and then if we don't have a show, they get really upset. So are we going to be back Friday, Kyle? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. We'll find yeah. out. Well, we'll be good. back, but I, I, maybe, maybe we'll be back at some point. Uh, check check on here. Snow the goalie will go out tomorrow. I do believe there is a crossed up that uh, Anthony and Bob recorded um, on Monday night for Tuesday. And if you go back and listen to it now, it's actually kind of sad because it was all built around Machado. And I think it was Anthony was anti Machado trade and Bob was pro Machado trade. And it really felt like they were kind of gearing up. They even ended the show talking about how. Uh, if and when the Machado trade goes down, they'd be potentially recording a uh, short episode to recap it. And and man, it's it's been a rough 24, 48 hours for uh, the Philadelphia sports fan. But here we are. We're uh, we're going to keep giving the fans, giving the people, giving the readers, the listeners, all of the best in Philadelphia sports, uh, whether their front offices and ownership groups are able to do it or not. So that's it yeah. uh, for for Kyle. At Crossing Broad, I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. Don't forget to go over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. We are still sitting on 350 five-star reviews. When we get to 500, Kyle's going to do a massive giveaway. I don't know what it is yet, but it's going to be a thing. So enter to win. And that's all. We're going we're gonna to do, we're gonna do a tableless packet shots for everybody. <sighs> a what? A tableless packet shot. We're all going to sit in high bar stools and, and film a, uh, and film a, a package angle uh, it was a reference to what we were talking about before. Yeah, let's get let's I'm get like stamps and, uh, and FedEx and UPS, those, those kind of packages. All right, uh, we'll be back. We should hopefully be back Friday. If not, we'll talk to you next Monday. Check back uh, soon. Bye.